0: Hey, homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turned marketer, turned interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is, you guys are coming with me. <laughs> Hey guys, I'm here today with Tracy Canale from Tracy Canale Art Advisory, and Tracy reached out to me a few weeks ago wanting to chat a little bit about um, her business model and how she works with designers and hopefully how designers can work with her to make uh, sourcing art a little bit easier. Thank you so much for being here, Tracy.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure.
0: Okay, well, I got to start by asking, how did you find my podcast? Because it's kind of new, so I'm always super pumped when somebody actually reaches out to me.
1: Um, I mean, just Google, internet search. I have um, nice. people who help me with that. So, yeah, I,
0: you know what I did? I like that actually. Um, what <laughs> other podcasts have you been on?
1: Um, oof, I have to remember the official names. Um, the Savvy Painter. Mm-hmm. I like your work.
0: I don't know that one. This is good Uh, for for people because (laughs) we all need new podcasts. You know what, have you been on Louie Nigera's podcast? I have not. Okay, well, that's a big one. That's pretty much um, probably the biggest one in the interior design world. She's, uh, people really like her podcast. She always has industry experts on. So if you haven't got her on your radar yet, I would highly recommend reaching out to her And she's based in the States, so I know she, you know, that's that's probably a good one to reach out to. Oh,
1: nice. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for the tip. Yeah. Hot
0: tip. Um, Okay, Tracy, (laughs) why don't you tell everybody a little bit about um, your business? Maybe, like, maybe let's start about what got you involved in art and, you know, are you an artist? Were you surrounded by art growing up? Like, what, how did this passion start for you?
1: I've always had a passion for art. I think... Most people who are in the business do, Mm -hmm. right? And then I studied for it with my art history background, both at university and my master's. Mm -hmm. After I got my master's, I came back to the U.S. and people started bringing me art. So it kind of evolved from there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then as far as the other question about what my business is, I mean, in a very minimal sense I assist private collectors in building their collections and it's usually in their home mm-hmm. and it is for passion predominantly
0: right as in like the collectors are collecting art out of passion mean? yes yeah, yes
1: as Amazing. opposed to necessarily like a giant foundation or mm-hmm. um some kind of investment model
0: right well, that's, that's pretty awesome. And so, right, like, do you often work just directly with the homeowner?
1: Uh, most of the time, yes. Yeah. And when I work with their designer, it's um, the one they've selected. <laughs> right. right? Uh, which is, is it uncommon to have some kind of remodel or uh, moving or some, some kind of event that kind of triggers their sudden interest in collecting art more seriously and candidly um and definitely remodels tend to be part of those events
0: right yeah and okay so can you share a little bit about what that process looks like if if a designer wanted to reach out to you and work with you know somebody like you or you obviously um what what does that look like and how does a designer kind of give you everything that you need in order to make that happen? And maybe also in addition to that, how, how do your fees work so that people can understand how that works?
1: Yes. Well, whenever I work with a designer, it's usually a little bit more of a flow. Okay. So they have a project or a client of mine that they know wants good art and has a budget for it. And I come in, and it's kind of a joy because I do get to see, essentially, these places where the art's going to go. Yeah. Pretty much always on a wall. I've never yet <laughs> worked with a designer where, you know, we're sourcing objects or sculpture. Okay. But on a wall. And um, the part I like very much is kind of talking about the concept and something a little more... Um, I suppose a little deep, a little more deep about you know what the designer is bringing to it, the kind of atmosphere that they're going for, uh, conceptual design. Mm-hmm. When I was at Christie's, the fine and deck arts didn't really have a distinction until the nineteenth century mm-hmm. stylistically. So I love bringing that view to it. You know, who is this room for? What the kind of statements we're making? And then I essentially go from there and I like to charge the same fees that I do for clients where there is a commission on top and depending on the designer, who that is. Um, and if it's there, frankly, if it's a large enough budget, then I'll just split that with them. The same I would, Mm -hmm. if I was say sourcing a collection, uh, a work for a private sale with another dealer or art advisor who's representing their client.
0: Right. Okay, I'm going to circle back to something you said. You said if the client is looking for good art slash has the right budget. So, I mean, art is obviously somewhat subjective. So when you say good art, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I think, so when I say it that way, I mean, it's that they are looking for something that has more depth and social value Mm -hmm. and something that has a placeholder, right? Right. Because of course, if we're looking at something that's only purely aesthetic, and when, when I mean that, like, you walk in a room, you know, most designers could put something there that visually is going to fill a space in a wall, right? Mm-hmm. And in which case, that's not, I'm not the one to call for that.
0: Right. So you, you, what you're saying, if I understand correctly, is you really want to find art that's, that that kind of has more sentimental value to the client that means more to the client is that is that what you mean we
1: well, have yeah, mm-hmm. sentimental cultural okay. uh, the, all the different values that bring that bring our value right mm-hmm. so we're looking at cultural value we're looking at this whole work of a uh, system of factors that are essentially socioeconomic right Mm-hmm. And that's what we kind of classify as fine art, right, or high right. art, if you will. Yeah. Um, so if they're looking for something that's saying, "Oh, yeah, I just you know the budget is three thousand dollars and I have twelve spaces on the wall to fill," yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't really make sense for either <laughs> me or the designer. I'm sure yeah. most designers are very competent in that sense that they can they can do that. Mm-hmm. Now, if they come in and say, "I have two spaces with fifty thousand with dollars," that's honestly cheap for a lot of art advisors. However, I'm more than willing to do that because I love placing artwork in very well thought out places. So that's something to consider.
0: Right. And um, what does it look like, the process of you working with a client? Like, so what kind of questions, I assume you sit down with the, the homeowner client, not your designer client, or maybe it's, both, <laughs> I don't know, but um, what what types of questions are you asking and what does that process look like in order to identify what it is that is best for this client in this room to kind of meet all of that for them? And obviously, given the the higher budgets, it's like obviously extremely important that that piece is... is so right for the client. So what does that process look like?
1: Uh, I'm glad you asked that. So hmm. it starts with, as I mentioned, there's some kind of event, right, that it okay. triggers or allows suddenly art collecting to be something more important. And then I go to their home. And I, I like to insist on this, unless we're looking at someone who has done a lot of research on their own up to this point.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because half the point of having someone like me is that I go to all the art fairs and the auction houses. I see art from all over the world. I know Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what's happening generally, both now and uh, historically. So they don't, they might not have that same kind of intensity, right? Mm -hmm. So I sit down and they'll start telling me, you know, who lives here, what happens here? I start. I might bring out some auction catalogs or files from the iPad to just kind of look through visually what they think when they say, I like pop art. I like surrealism. I like um, impressionist modern. I love Picasso. Let's talk about why you love Picasso and kind mm-hmm. of break down what that yearning seems to be for mm-hmm. Picasso, right? And as we're doing that, especially being in their home, I can suss out a little more, it's taste, but it's also environment. What kind of home do they really want? Who's going to be here? And also visually the reality of what's going to happen, right? Because Mm -hmm. there are some things that we project for our home very much. And if it doesn't have the space to accommodate what we think is happening there, that's not gonna happen, right? So to kind of maybe yeah. pivot or find uh wise acquisitions for these people.
0: Okay. Do you ever get because you know there's the whole thing, like, well, I've noticed that, you know, money doesn't buy good taste. <laughs> and you <laughs> ever have clients who they want to spend a lot of money, but then everything they're showing you, you're just like, I mean, it is so subjective, obviously, but in your mind maybe this is something that you have to, I don't know. I'm just curious. Client shows you a bunch of stuff they really like and they're like, I want to pay a lot of money for this. And you just feel like it's so wrong for everything going on in the home. Like, how do you approach something like that? Does that happen? I have to assume that happens.
1: (laughs) Well, of course it does. However, there's usually a pivot, right? Okay. So first off, I personally, I don't believe in, Bad taste. I just believe in unpracticed or, uh, I don't want to say uneducated, because most of my collectors are pretty well educated, just not necessarily in depth in in art. art. But yeah, it's just uh, maybe taste that hasn't been given a lot of attention <laughs> right you're so nice so, Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so they you know they see what I'm I pick up on when I see certain things that I know I'm not gonna name anyone but when I see of certain course. things that I think are maybe not ideal for mm-hmm. the space okay. right there that's something to say well the work that you're looking at has certain color scheme sizing that's little jarring for the space we have, maybe have you considered some of these other artists mm-hmm. and then show them these other other ways to go. And it's right. pretty easy to see a shift from there. Right. And essentially that's my job, right, to kind yeah. of see, okay, these, these are some others they might not have heard of. Um, often a lot of the artists that they haven't heard of will be slightly less expensive too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which also often feels nice. Yeah. Um, Especially since, you know, when people come in and say like, yeah, I have a large budget I want to spend on, you know, the big guns tend to be expensive and the quality of a lesser work, you could get a great work for slightly less Mm -hmm. known artists. And, you know, think of who really big names. I mean, people who come in without that much context are going to say Warhol. They're going to say like I said, Picasso, Dali, they mm-hmm. might even say something along the lines of uh, you know, Jeff Koons or
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, pretty much anyone who was shown recently at the MoMA or the Whitney, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, right during the Frank Stella retrospective, there are a lot of requests for Frank Stella. I mean, it's unsurprisingly, right? right. And that's where that I come in and say, let's look at some of these other artists that conceptually meet a lot of these needs aren't quite as big just yet and see if we can find something special in that Venn diagram.
0: And is that actually what you just said kind of triggered this question for me? Is, is that sometimes the goal for some homeowners is that, you know, let's get some artists that maybe aren't big yet, but it's like an investment into the, like, it's a different kind of investment where this is, I'm really naive to, my father's nervous, <laughs> but I, this is, this is like, I'm very naive to art collectors and whatnot. But um is that, is that a goal? Like I'm going to get a piece that we anticipate. It's kind of like investing in, in a business where, maybe in 10, 20 years, the name's going to be big and he's going to be worth more.
1: Well, of course, on a surface level, because no matter how much money you have, art is a very particular asset. It's Mm -hmm. not going to be acquired the same way that you acquire other things. Right. And because of the money and time put into it, there's always the allure that, of course, maybe it'll go up. And having someone like me kind of breaks down the reality of that potential to happen or not.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And anyone who says that investment is very important to them as a prime collecting objective, I will tell them it is high risk. Yeah. There is a, you have to have a lot of cash put down quickly and liquefying it is difficult. It is also not traditionally in most cases, a short-term asset. Right. Right. Um, at the very high end it can be an excellent hedge against inflation again it's high risk. Yeah, once people hear that especially since most of them are pretty savvy business people. Yeah. I that's understand. not the way they choose to work it. If right. that makes sense. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. So okay, you just said most of them are savvy business people. Can you describe for for me and my listeners like what types of clients? Like if you had, you know, they call like, "Oh, what's your avatar?" Right? Like if we had to identify <laughs> the type of client, and of course, there are exceptions to every rule, but describe for me what how you might consider a typical client um, that generally likes to invest in their art, in fine art, and and you know, put a high price tag on their art.
1: Yes, so. At least for me in my experience, mm-hmm. they are usually uh married there's mm-hmm. they're i mean i know this is a range, but like i would say thirty eight to fifty five
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they've had i I'll say it's like more than one career if that okay. makes sense yeah um and definitely have had some degree of social mobility, and whether that's from marriage or their own business acumen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now there's the opportunity to collect some good art. And the reason why they don't have it is because I guess and this is a common American issue where you can be incredibly well-educated and art just does not Mm -hmm. you have almost no framework for understanding it especially even as a business model or how the economics work it's all still very opaque and cloak and dagger so there is a real desire yeah to get some great pieces and to have something that's going to really resonate with them and sing and they want to have confidence in their choices however the whole thing seems very overwhelming and ultimately it's meant to be fun yeah. right it's not meant to be this really heavy dense thing and mm-hmm. I know that sounds strange since like some really for some people it is really fun having very intellectually dense highbrow dark art even Mm -hmm. that's a whole other (laughs) you can talk (laughs) about you know catharsis and the meditative act of having everyone's home etc um even that though is still meant to be fun and it's not going to be fun if you're going to every single opening that everyone else is going to and you have to go to 40 before you see one thing that you might even like and now you're questioning its market value etc etc right so i think i'm also someone who kind of helps them to get to the chase in that sense <laughs> right. right like they want they want to be part of this but they don't want to have to do all of that yeah initial work right or kind of get discouraged or which is fair enough i think yeah and i mean i feel
0: like too there's got to be something like it, it, it's obviously people who appreciate the value of art. Cause there's no matter what, like what, all those other things you described, I think you could probably, I don't know in my mind, and this is just like my assumptions, I could find 10 of those people you just described, but I would assume like only one of those 10 would actually want to spend $50,000 on, on fine art. So I'm curious what that other little piece that makes them feel like the value of art and, you know, like, I'm curious, like, that less tangible thing that these clients have to really value it and value such, like, talent. And do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know if this is making any
1: sense. You are are making sense. Okay. Um, Well, short answer, frankly, that's not the same thing for every person. Yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about the art world and art collecting in general. And also... When it comes down to it, and I've spoken about this in other podcasts and other platforms, people, powerful people collect art.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a very reductive way of coming to that conclusion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there are different ways that that power comes to be. However, the people who really value it, the way you say, understand that. Right. And it's a different, it's a much more nuanced Mm -hmm. power than, say, than just money. You you spoke earlier Mm -hmm. about how, you know, money and taste don't necessarily go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And that's also something that they're trying to capture as well.
0: Yeah. Um, And Go on. No, 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 go ahead. I
1: was going to say, because it's been asked a few times, they're like, oh, is it your taste that ends up with the collector? And I will say, No. And I, I do believe that half my job is to have a collector be confident on their own taste. Um,
0: okay, so this is a, that's an interesting yes. thing that you're saying. So everybody, like, when it comes to all this stuff, like being a designer, being, um, you know, whatever, a designer, a graphic designer, da, 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 whatever it is, like, you know, sourcing art, uh, being an art collector, whatever that is. You know, people are like, oh, you know, you don't want to impose your taste. But part of me believes that you, what you're doing, you are an artist in what you're doing. And there is an element. This is kind of my philosophy anyway. Um, There is an element of me imposing a little bit of my taste because I am an artist. And of course, I'm not just trying to blindly throw a bunch of stuff in your house that only I like. But part of me hiring (laughs) me and selecting me, for example, is that you like the taste that I have and it aligns with your aesthetic, which is the ideal. A lot of people talk about like, well, you know, I don't, to each their own, but a lot of people talk about, you know, I can conform to anybody's style, but I'm kind of of the mentality where I want to try to hone in on my style. I'm still trying to do that. And part of you hiring me is infusing my very, personal aesthetic into your home because it also aligns with you again, while considering all of your tastes and making sure it's delivering on that client need. But I, part of me thinks that's kind of like the beauty of what we're all doing.
1: Of course. However, I think when you and I say something like taste, I mean, maybe, maybe it's different for you, but So for example, I have like a whole imaginary art collection in my head of things that I wish I had. Right. <laughs> yep. And that tends to be very. Eclectic. Um. Well, yeah, if I started making a list, but there is kind of, I will say there's a progression over the years, like mm-hmm. any collection, like it kind of goes through these sort of clusters. Um. And then also coming back to other artists, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you kind of come back to. um. And if I was going to kind of just be reductive, I would say that that is very highbrow, often politically nuanced and difficult art, right? right. And that's not what I'm placing, right? Right. However, when it comes to taste, there's a sensual there's a aspect that I think can't be, you know, I can't really put that on the website in the sense like, it's more they look at the website and see the visual first and the words don't make sense. That's more where the taste comes in, in mm-hmm. a more subtle way. And that is what they're picking up on. So you're right when you're saying that there is a taste aspect here. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any coincidence that predominantly most of the collectors who I've worked with are women. Right. Not always, but predominantly. And the men. Oh, the question I was going to ask you actually. And then the, uh, when they are men, they, I, I don't think, unsurprisingly, they tend to be, what they're looking for is similar to what I described, where they're very intellectually dense,
0: mm-hmm.
1: leaning, like their art is, you know, this, I guess, like, capital S, serious, if you will. Right, yeah. Um, but they it's mostly women.
0: <clears throat> okay. Um... Very interesting. This is, this is like, I'm really enjoying talking to you, actually. Like, (laughs) you're very deep. I can feel that. Okay. This is like a deeper conversation than I've probably ever had on my podcast. And you're probably like, what? But, um, okay. I had another question for you. Okay. I would love to know. So when your own home, I assume you do have a collection of some art and what, I know you said you have the collection of art in your head. That's like (laughs) your aspirational, but what is the reality and what does your own home look like?
1: Oh, I mean, I live in Williamsburg right now. I have a smaller apartment. Mm-hmm. I do move a lot, I notice, living in New York. I just kind of get, I guess, tired of living in a place. Yeah. I so have a little bit of a traveling art collection. Um, it's like eight pieces that I can fit into, like, two carriers. Mm-hmm. And... I won't say that they're particularly expensive and -hmm. that's intentional, right? Like I, obviously you don't want to be having (laughs) $50,000 artwork kind of bopping around from place to place, but they're small little pieces. I know uh, one of them that's one of my favorites is by Nick Farhi and he's an oil painter. He was living in New York years ago and I went in for a studio visit in 2012 and this is kind of during the emerging art, emerging contemporary art boom. <clears throat> and I just love the work. So I took one of the little boat paintings and that's one of them.
0: Right. And, and can it's you got, it's far, I'm going to check them out.
1: F-A-R-H-I. Okay. So the wine paintings are the things that he got really kind of known for, I guess, but, and that's Trompe Loil, so it's all oil painting. Um, but this one are these small square paintings of boats
0: mm-hmm.
1: that he made. He made a whole series of them that are basically the same, but have one detail, like maybe a fly is there. Maybe like the toilet paper oh, roll yeah. that he does is on the other side, that kind of thing. Um, but I just think it has a very wonderful textural uh, creaminess and chiaroscuro that, I, I mean, if you really love oil painting, it kind of hits home. Right. It's a small little thing. And I have a bunch kind of in the same size. They're just about... Uh, I think like two and a half by two and a half,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, yep, <clears throat> and kind of like that. So there are a bunch. I mean, they're not as I mentioned. Like they're when it comes to my little traveling collection. <laughs> yeah. Those are definitely kept smaller. They're surprising. Yeah. They're very light and <clears throat> kind of. <coughs> Impulse buys,
0: and do you do you yeah. mix it in with like other less, you know, with other pieces that aren't necessarily finer? So like you know, you're blending high and, and low kind of thing. Oh no, no, okay, <laughs> okay. My that's next just question. Not me. <laughs> no, it's, that's fair. A bit, okay. My next a question. Bit
1: minimalist, right? I'm traveling, yeah. so. <laughs>
0: okay. um, what happens? Like, do you ever get clients? I because this happens to me. I'm trying to help a client right now select art. I mean, we're going we're we're going cheap and cheerful, but um, I, I feel like some of the fundamentals of like how to identify art, you know, whether it's high or low, probably are the same. What happens when a client just doesn't have any idea? And the and and you're kind of like trying to help them identify what kind of art speaks to them. Like the one client right now that I'm working with just really doesn't know. And I think, and she actually, we had an end of conversation about this earlier this week where she said, you know, I don't know if I'm overthinking it. I just, I've never really had art that I've thought too much about before, but like, I think, I think she's just really wants it to like really say or say something, you know what I mean? Or somehow have a personal touch like, how do you handle something like that? What's what's your process for helping people like that identify what might be best?
1: Well, I usually find something mm-hmm. just because it is my job, right? I think it's yeah. kind of like, you know, if you're looking at it from a design perspective, I think it's rare that you will not be able to find a couch that someone likes, right? Yeah. Even if they're, you know, because you've just seen so many. And yeah. And you know... You, in comparison but at the initial stage I do as I mentioned like you flip through catalogs auction exhibition catalogs kind Mm -hmm. of get a sense of macro micro Mm
0: -hmm.
1: things that really stick out to them there's the iPad of course so then I'll be looking through different images with them as they start to give me more feedback yeah and then there's a little bit more, you have to remember, as I mentioned, when it comes to art, it's a very particular asset class. They're going to want to have a little more context. So we'll go to a museum together. We'll go to a gallery or two together. And if they're really still indecisive, because the objective is to acquire art, right? Yeah. Um, We'll kind of just, I would suggest like, all right, you like this artist and the specific question that you had where, you asked me, is it, you know, where she's saying that she's never acquired art before. She just doesn't know.
0: Yeah. Go she for. Like, she, it's like she wants it to have deep meaning. So she, and she's like, just doesn't, she's kind of paralyzed. Like, what, okay. you, yeah.
1: So at this point, I'm going to say that there's probably been a lot of art pick the one that you just like the most now within a certain budget that's cheap compared to the rest. I know you're going cheap and cheerful, but let's say, just get something for a hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. A print or whatever. Cause to me, you know, that seems really cheap. Put it on your wall. Yeah. Give it two weeks. See how you feel. Yeah. Because you're not going to go, you're not going to know otherwise. Right. And then she'll even know, she'll be like, you know what? I just want really special stuff. I don't want to get, I want to get, two things for a thousand dollars. Right. Yep. And I don't want to have anything that's that easily acquired. Or maybe, in, in, you know, she's like, this is work on paper. No, I want an oil painting. I'm going to save up for an oil painting. And it she, but you're not going to know that until you've made that act, that exchange. Right. Uh, honestly, you got to, it's kind of like pulling the band-aid off, but it, do something obviously cheaper in comparison. Right.
0: Yeah, I think that's good advice. And I actually really like the, I, I feel like I'm doing this a little bit where I'm giving clients, like I do a little bit of a style survey, I call it. And they do, but I, I feel like I haven't made art a high enough priority in that survey. And I almost think that it is about providing more options for them to see, especially with clients who really have no idea. Because I think it's a case of like, you also don't know what you don't know. So yeah. <laughs> if you've never really seen art, aside from like your framed family photos on your wall or, you know, that Ikea thing you bought, then you just don't know. So here's what's out there. Um, and I also like the idea of, of just going to a gallery of some sort to see, because I do find too, it can be overwhelming. Like it, it, you know, I've sent clients websites or this or that, but it it, sometimes it's just, there's too much and seeing it on a computer screen just doesn't connect the same way as going in person and going, I don't know what it is, but I'm drawn to this piece.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And I think too, like for her, one thing I said to her was like, you know, for me, and this is just a personal thing for me, I don't try to make art mean too much other than like I'm really drawn to this piece and that's really all it is for me when I look at art or to be honest that's been all it has been for me I just I'm really drawn to this painting or this portrait or this whatever and I need to have it on my wall
1: yeah and that's I've mean, really felt that many times <laughs> you haven't um, or you have I have I have yeah and even if I will say uh, but if they're at that point just like you said it uh, Pick, like, a very small portion of the budget, whatever that cheap is, right? Yeah. And get something that comes closest to that. Right. Because she's probably, as you said, if she's all stuck or probably also wanting to have a one and done, frankly, if she's never collected art before, that's not going to happen. Right. You know? Yeah. So you got to kind of dip your toe in or go for it to a certain degree and then see how you feel.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I will say this though, and I I have to imagine that it's similar with a lot of designers, but I don't think I've ever really had a client regret an acquisition.
0: That's good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, if they have, they haven't told me, but um, (laughs) I will have people... Who frequently vocalize regretting not acquiring certain pieces.
0: I knew you were gonna say that. It's so funny. I really that's kind of my philosophy right now, because people are whether it's my own home, because we're about to do a pretty massive reno in the next couple months, and clients where they're like, Oh, you know, should I spend the money on this? You know, I like it, but trying to save a couple bucks. And I really feel like you're going to regret the things you don't do. I mean, this is not like I made this up. This is like a cliche or a quote or a saying for a reason, but you're going to regret the things you didn't do versus the things you do. So you might as well just, like you said earlier, you know, rip the bandaid off and, and do it. And then just be happy that you did it. And so you're a bit shy on some funds for a couple months, but you're going to be fine. (laughs) And you're not going to regret that you lost it. I assume for you too, because it's all original pieces that people miss out on things. And it's like, now that ship has sailed.
1: Yeah. Well, I think also, you know, art takes up a certain degree of money, time and space. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason I have like an imaginary collection. Like all I do is look at art yeah. Even if I had an endless budget, I probably couldn't <laughs> collect every single thing yeah. that I'm looking at. And that's also part of the reason to have a pragmatism, right? Even if you have a decent budget to collect art, that can get eaten up really quickly. Yeah. So it's understandable that there will be individuals who simply there are going to be instances where you want something and you don't quite pull the trigger, and then, you know, even one or two years later you're thinking about like god like that piece especially for that price etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's because i mean honestly i think that's also how one learns to be a collector learns how the market works right mm-hmm. um even the ones that they do acquire and they weren't completely 100 on they learn they're so like you learn a lot from that what you really want out of your money and art um of course, I mean, don't buy anything you don't like, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> you'll, find, you'll find something. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, what, you said you work a lot, obviously, like most of your clients are married. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you struggle at all for pair, uh, couples to align on selecting art because they just have such bit, like wildly different tastes?
1: Yeah, that happens frequently. Mm-hmm. However... When it comes down to it, I'm usually working with one predominantly as a collector, mm-hmm. time-wise. Right. And then we just have to come up with a way to, for them to make decisions, right? Yeah. Because when it comes to money, time, access, and value, there is usually a very tight window to make decisions. Right. And putting a work on hold, especially a desirable work. Yeah you know, the longer it's on hold, the more you you should get that, right? Because mm-hmm. then it kind of messes up access, both for me and for them, and it gets complicated. Right. But I do tell, I mean, you know, I send out PDFs regularly to people who I'm working with, and they have these conversations before they show up or make decisions, of course. Mm-hmm. However, just kind of Determining their decision-making process tends to be the most vital, I find, because then otherwise, you know, we're looking at all kinds of art, and if there's a spouse who's just going to say no all the time, yeah, then there's no point for others,
0: right? Yeah. Have you ever had to fire a client?
1: (laughs) Oof, that is harsh terminology. (laughs) <laughs> well, you
0: know what? Welcome to the interior design world because that's what uh, this is not for clients to listen to. By the way, I don't even promote uh, my podcast on my Instagram because this is for designers <laughs> to listen to. Clients don't listen to this. Um, but, but yeah, first terminology. By welcome to Michelle Bennett. Um, let a client go because you you aren't aligned or. Because the reality is, like, I mean, what you're doing is very similar to what we're doing, but you're just very much specific to art. I mean, we are selecting, you know, various things within a, a client's home. And there's times when they're they're indecisive and it's becoming really problematic or they're unrealistic or whatever. And truth be told, often the reason for that is mismanaged expectations. Like, the designers, you know, we we need to own the fact that we've done something along the way to screw up the process or mismanage expectations. But I'm curious, um, have you ever had to kind of say, you know what, this, this isn't working road. I don't think I can give you what you need.
1: I, I think it becomes more obvious before then that we're not a good match. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I don't think it's, I mean, maybe that's where the design and art worlds are a little bit different in the sense that, you, you know, I know pretty well beforehand, you know, we, it just doesn't get that far, frankly. And I think, I mean, if it would, knowing myself, if it does get to a point where something does dramatically shift, I'll say, you know, I've loved the opportunity and I think we should, you know, I think you're, I've done what I can with your collection and, you know, you can feel free to seek representation elsewhere. <laughs> right? I, I don't know. Firing sounds <laughs> so like you know. Well, I'm it's not as paid, if we right? would
0: say, "Hey, Clint, <laughs> you're fired," <laughs> but um, did, send so a nice
1: breakup letter. <laughs> I
0: don't know. Yeah, obviously, I send a text. I, I rake up with them on a post-it on a mirror, I'll uh <laughs> um, <laughs> So... Uh, Sorry, I
1: can't. Don't hate me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, do you... Okay, so it sounds to me like maybe you're kind of... Oh, you You notice red flags. I don't know. Is that? Is that... Well, you mentioned before how, you said before if client, you go in too deep, you, you kind of know, okay, this is going to work or not, and maybe you don't work. So is that like a red flag thing?
1: Well, you mentioned before how clients pick up on your taste, right? Yeah. And that's a more there's a lot more going on there in the sense that you know personality how you communicate Mm -hmm. what your communication styles are yeah what kind of background and access am I bringing that makes sense to this collector to want to work with me yeah and what this collector really wants and if I can serve them right right now that's a very lengthy explanation we make all these decisions pretty quickly and intuitively in our interactions with people, just getting coffee or yeah. talking about the weather. It's not that checklisted, if you will, right. <laughs> or spell out. No, for sure.
0: It's like and, your gut, basically, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, a collector, especially since, I mean, I, I don't know how you guys work, but with collectors, because it's usually a while before they make that first acquisition, I have an account opening fee. Mm-hmm right? Because the second that I start sending them work, I'm leveraging my network. I'm sending things yeah. that I have access to that has taken years of time, attention, yeah. expertise, organization to be able to deliver. Absolutely. If they're not going to acquire right away, I need to have assurance that they are ready, willing, and able to acquire art in all of the ways. And, um, essentially, God, I'm just spacing out, that they're already willing. Oh, and that they don't have any kind of holdups, even if they don't realize that, right? Right. So if they are ready to pay that, it seals representation. I say, okay, great. I'm your advisor. Let's go. And then that's where all the fine print is, (laughs) right in the invoice. And it's good as a reference in case anything does come to bear, which hopefully not. Right. If communication is clear, but if it does, there's something that says, I represent you. This is the commission structure, right? Yeah. Or whatever arrangement we've come to terms with. And if they're not ready for that, that's where, like, kind of the tipping point is or where the relationship actually comes to bear. Before that happens, I'm not their advisor, right?
0: Absolutely. Just, uh, it, it's, it's smart because you, and it's similar to what we do. It's kind of like, there's always tire kickers for everything, right? Where sometimes people just like, Oh, I think I want to do this, but then there maybe their life is in the way and it's just realistically, they can't put in the whatever time or whatever they need to do focus to be able to, to make sure that that makes sense even for you. Cause time is money, obviously, but no, that, that's very similar to how we would work normally. It's like a retainer up front or whatever that looks like. Um, as far as, you know, your, how many artists do you have kind of at your fingertips? And do you find that you normally, when you're working with a client, you can just, within the known artists that you have, are you representing the artists? Is that the terminology or is that not the terminology?
1: Uh. No. So, I represent yeah. the client. Okay, got that, that actually is a very good question because, I mean, it's a very specific detail that determines a lot. Yeah. Especially when it comes to, <laughs> we'll say, legal issues, right? Who mm-hmm. do you share agency? Who do you represent? That sort of thing. And yeah. So, anytime I take on a work in the capacity of being a dealer, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Which is
1: an advantage It's the service that I offer, being able to manage private sales for clientele mm-hmm. um technically at that point I'm taking on the money and before and like in exchange for an artwork and I have to charge sales tax and mm-hmm. overseas shipping and you know all of that um the collector has to know that I represent them right and not the artwork right and that's where a lot goes wrong when it comes to private sale in general Um, because you know in order to do this in the first place you have to have relationships with collectors right Mm -hmm. and if they think that you Mm -hmm. represent someone else what do they do they'll maybe like bump up the price to see if you'll talk them down or you know like all kinds of nuanced things so it's very important to be very clear who I represent in any one transaction and I would love to represent an artist at some point. It's just not quite, I'm not there at this point. It, it doesn't, right. I guess maybe when I meet an artist who feels right. Yeah. Professionally speaking. Yeah. Um. I feel like too emerging doesn't really make sense economically as much as I'd love to do that. And Obviously, a lot of the more established artists who I've worked with, I mean, they have representation and I have relationships with their dealers. So that also wouldn't make any sense. (laughs)
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) And um, so how long have you been doing this? And, you know, is this your first career? Like, is this exactly what you started doing when you graduated? Or did you work in an art gallery? Like, what what did the trajectory look like for your career?
1: Um, I mean, I had internships at Barry Friedman, which is a now closed... Chelsea Gallery that had both modern and contemporary artwork. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, And then, I mean, that was a very traditional gallery space, front desk, client liaison, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: archiving his art book collection. It it was rather expensive. And then I was in Venice at the Peggy Guggenheim collection. That was a wonderful experience, Mm -hmm. Uh, both because it's Venice and because (laughs) it's a gorgeous collection. And the entire space is run by the interns on the day-to-day. So there's a very mundane of, you know, we would have to clean the sculpture and the garden of, like, cigarette butts and, you know, sell tickets and et cetera, as well as education and uh, tours and talks and uh, after-hours events. So there are some things that were just so (laughs) mundane, right? Yeah. But then we're giving these really, uh, I guess, highbrow tours. And then, I mean, because it's Venice and because it's Peggy, depending on the rotation, I mean, it, it was really fascinating to me how many, you know, there'd be a VIP and then you have to go and give a tour, right? Yeah. And the people who came through, even in my time there, and it wasn't a very long time, it was like, I think, like, we all thought it was. A first, Lady Gaga was coming and it was Ooh. actually Daphne Guinness. who <laughs> oh. was beautiful, you know, because she's, her fashion is so yeah. statement worthy. There was, um, I remember it was really funny, James Franco coming through on a, like, kind of like a layover or something
0: yeah. between awesome.
1: <laughs> Berlin and hosting the Oscars or something. It was like, yeah. it was, you know, it was wonderful and surreal. And also just the sheer amount of people who are coming and look at the art. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the crew. I mean, I, there are people who I met there who I still work with today, and yeah. it's a very particular experience. Uh, yeah, and then I went to Christie's, that was Renaissance to post-war, art style and design, cataloging exams in, over three trimesters, master's, my thesis was on 20th century art collecting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, particularly collecting culture. How we think of taste is our taste. Um, or what the canon, how the canon becomes the canon, right? And I came back to New York because I didn't have a visa. Started networking. People started bringing me art. And I would say, like, really, like, three iterations of the business, here I am. Okay. <laughs> so I apologize if that was long-winded. But <laughs> oh, that's
0: great.
1: Okay. <laughs> is there anything I, there that seems most interesting or you want to?
0: Well, no, become. This you're going to be, like, You're, you're very shallow. My next question is a very shallow question. It's Um, do you get any celebrity clients (laughs) ever?
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, I haven't yet, (laughs) but obviously
0: you want one. No.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. I mean, also the notion of celebrity, I mean, it's just part of it. The reality when it comes to celebrity that there are you bump up against these people all the time. Mm-hmm. I will say, yeah. I'm not, for better or worse, I don't know celebrities, I think, the way that other people do. You know, like, you can tell me all about, I can tell you all about who's who, you know, yeah. the 19th century art world. But yeah. um, <laughs> I think I ended up having a conversation once with one of, like, the young Franco once about his coat. Yeah. And he definitely had a weird look on his face. And I I guess like he was waiting for me to recognize him. Like looking back, that that's what it was. But I'm like, I don't know what this guy's doing. I'm I'm on that opening, I'm talking to this person. And then you don't realize until you're watching neighbors too and I oversee once and you're like, Hey.
0: (laughs) Oh crap, yeah. That's the best though. I think it looks (laughs) that's that's actually the best. I think that makes you look awesome because he's like, Oh, hello, and you're just like, Who the hell are you? (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Um but yeah, unless it's like a really, really big star, I'm not going to know. And I also think that's kind of beautiful. Well, because, you know, also they're not, they're, we're looking at celebrities, especially if they're actors or performers, they're not performing right then, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's out of context. They're definitely more interesting in my mind when they're performing than when they're not. Yeah. And they're artists in their own right. So they have a kind yep. of interest in that world. And that's part of the hour and the fun, but also kind of the, you know, it's part of the art world, right? I I would, I'm safe to say it's part of the art world, especially I just came from Freeze LA and I thought it was really funny how, um, not funny, I mean, exciting and encouraging how many celebrities of various levels seem to be really engaged. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if you followed this at all, like how Brad Pitt was there pretty much the whole day selfieing with everyone. Really? <laughs> he was there no. a long time. Yeah, I, I'm very <laughs> impressed with his patience And uh, because it was, uh, Freeze was also taken over by an entertainment company out there. And so they were able to kind of, they were able to leverage their network in a way that was very positive for the fair. And So that's right. exciting. Um, I do think, yeah, I mean, if I did though, I think I, I would want to keep that under wraps. <laughs> of
0: course, I figured that you might. Like, you I, I would that, be like, Oof. you'd say, but I can't say who. Which would have been totally fine. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I hope to one day work with a celebrity. But, um, but you know what? I'm not. I'm not at all surprised that you see a lot of actors there, or, or anybody that's what you'd call a celebrity, because it's like you said, they're artists in their own like niche, whatever they're doing. And you know, I. I know just based on what I do, I obviously have a, a wild respect for artistic talent and creativity, which not everybody really does, right? They're just like, oh, you know, I used to be a graphic designer. It's like, well, can you whip me up a logo? You know, like stuff like that, which is somewhat insulting that people feel like you can just whip up a logo. And, you know, it's it, not everybody totally appreciates and understands it. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like it makes sense that that a lot of um actors and whatnot do, which just makes your job fun if you get to bump shoulders with them here and there, and especially when you (laughs) don't realize that you did, and then you get to find out later that you came off super cool to whatever James Franco's younger brother is. I can't remember his name either. I don't
1: don't remember
0: (laughs) I don't <laughs> Do know if cool is really how you it totally came off cool. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> um, okay, so why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and where they can follow you, and maybe um, what the steps would be for them to reach out to potentially work with you.
1: So, I mean, I have my website, which is uh, tk.co, tracycallyartadvisory.co. I also have my Instagram, which is where <laughs> the most people interact with uh-huh. me right now which is my name, Tracy Mm -hmm. Canally. Should I spell that? Is that better?
0: Yeah. You know what? Probably for the best. (laughs) (laughs)
1: P-R-A-C-Y-K-I-N-M-A-L-L-Y. And that seems to be a way to really interact with a lot of people. And after that, shoot me an email, slide into my DMs. Call me. <laughs> <You know>?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but like, keep it to just art. If you're sliding newer DMs.
1: Oh yes. But, um, it has to say very explicitly yeah, at the top. Pro, pro. Um,
0: I, am, I heard I, you
1: I, on <laughs> Michelle Benet's Yeah, podcast. Yeah.
0: Did you, you want to meet up? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so people should definitely follow me on Instagram. You've got a lot of super cool art on here. I'm s- very into it. So hopefully people will be checking you out. Cause some really cool, unique pieces on, on your Instagram.
1: Yeah, and it's fun. And in the stories, I, just, you know, like, every, well, in my head, like everyone else, you know, I go to the art fairs. Yeah. There's the travel, studio yeah. visits, things of that nature. Amazing. So if that's interesting to any of you designers out there who apparently... <laughs> Or the main listeners.
0: <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, okay, well, thank you so much for reaching out. I've loved talking with you, and um, hopefully somebody will reach out. Um, I, you said you're based out of New York, but you can work with um, people pretty much anywhere? Is that right? Or
1: Yeah, I mean, if they have the budget, right? You know
0: yes budget, said earlier. but exactly but you could in theory because again i'm canadian so i'm just you know listeners to this podcast are kind of all over so i just want to make sure people know that you know whether they're in canada or the uk in theory they could work with you assuming you know your your time zone's working yes 100 percent that the budget's right um but that's not a limitation yes
1: of course perfect canadians love art too we sure do. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, thanks again, Tracy, and have an awesome weekend.
1: Thank you. You too, Michelle. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right, guys. I'm here today with Tracy Kinnelly. Okay. You know what? I should have confirmed. Am I saying that right before I go for that? Kinnelly. Uh, okay. There you go. We do. <laughs>